Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that Jesus was a Jew and that his teaching is firmly and deeply rooted in the text of the Hebrew Bible, what we rather regrettably call the Old Testament. Jesus recognized the Old Testament canon of Scripture that 77% of our Bible that we call the Old Testament, Jesus recognized that as a divine revelation from the one God of Israel, the Father of Jesus Christ, and he treated that scripture as the bedrock foundation of his own gospel message. Paul in Galatians 3 verse 8 said the same thing. He said that the gospel had been preached in advance to Abraham. And in Romans 4 verse 11, Paul said that Abraham is the father of of all who believe, all that is who are Christians. In Romans 4.16, Paul said that Christians are those who belong to the faith of Abraham. And in the twelfth verse of that same fourth chapter of Romans, Paul said that we are to walk in the steps of our father Abraham. Those who are of faith, of the Christian faith that is, are, according to Galatians 3 verse 9, blessed with Abraham, the believer. Now, the faith of Abraham is laid out clearly for us in those early chapters of Genesis, from Genesis 12 onwards, and the promises made to Abraham form the foundation of the Christian gospel. You see, Jesus was the recipient of those famous promises made to Abraham, but Abraham himself is also involved in the promises, the promise of the land and the famous progeny, the seed and the soil, one might say, were made to Abraham, both to him individually and to his famous seed, who was to come later. Now, that seed is both Jesus Christ as the singular seed, and also the seed is a corporate figure, that's to say, all who belong to Christ are included in that seed. Hence, in Galatians 3.29, Paul can say, if you're a Christian, then you are reckoned as Abraham's seed or descendant or progeny, and you become heirs according to the promises made to Abraham. Isn't that fascinating? The promises made to Abraham are in fact the very same promises guaranteed by Jesus to Christians. Jesus was the singular seed promised to Abraham. But Paul can also say that if we are Christians, that's to say believers of every nation on earth, then we are reckoned also as the seed of Abraham, and we become heirs of the promises made to Abraham. You'll find that in Galatians 3, verse 29. Well, with that extraordinary emphasis on the faith of Abraham in the Christian New Testament, it would make perfect sense that we'd want to find out what the faith of Abraham was all about. And we can do that by going back to the beginning of the story of Abraham in Genesis 12. There we find a most interesting fact about Abraham's career. He was called and invited by God, by the God of Israel, the one God of Israel, the father of Jesus Christ, to leave his own land and his own immediate family, his own circle of friends, and to depart for a land that God would show him. Abraham obeyed. He went out in faith, not knowing where he was going, but simply trusting in, believing in, and resting his hopes and his faith upon the word of God, upon God's proposal, God's statement of intention. 
which later became a solemn oath-bound covenant between God and Abraham. And that covenant involved the gift of land. It was a land gift initially for the land of Canaan, and later, as the Bible story develops, that Canaan was to develop into exercise of authority and possession of the entire world. The land of Canaan, however, was the heart of the gift that God promised to Abraham if he would obey and go forth from his own country, give up Babylon, give up those things which are nearest and dearest to our hearts, loyalty to country, even connection with family, and go for a higher cause, namely the cause of receiving the gift of the land which God offered to him. Abraham went out in faith. Remember that he's the model of Christian faith. And so in the time of Jesus, when he preached, we find him saying, in response to the question, Who are my parents? Who are my brothers and sisters? And so on. And he stretches out his hand. You'll find the account in Matthew chapter 12. He stretches out his hand towards those who believe in him, his followers, and he says, these who hear the message of God are my real brothers and sisters. You see, he's following the example of Abraham who gave up the natural family for the greater cause of a spiritual family. And the progeny of Abraham turned out to be not only the Messiah, but all those who come to believe in Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. That group of people then become heirs of the promises made to Abraham. To Abraham then was promised, first of all, the land and the promised descendant. The land was the land of Canaan. In Genesis 13, we'll read the account of how God confirmed this great land promise to the father of the faithful. Genesis 13, verses 14 to 17, read like this. And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Do you see there that Abraham was promised a piece of physical territory, part of this planet? I want to point out to you that Abraham was not invited to look up into the sky, to some distant region beyond the stars, a kind of heaven removed from this earth. Why is it then that Christians constantly speak of heaven as their reward? If they were following the faith of Abraham, surely they would have heard what God promised to Abraham here. He was asked to look to the four points of the compass, the whole of the land which you see I'm going to give you. And so the first lesson to be learned from this study of the faith of Abraham, which is the foundation of the Christian faith, is that the land promise is still very much in force. Heaven in the Bible is nowhere the destination of the dying, said a leading Cambridge Bible scholar recently. And he was absolutely right. It was the land, the earth, promise to Abraham, which becomes also the promised reward for Christians. Listen to the clear words of Jesus. Blessed are the meek, he said. They're going to have the land or the earth as their inheritance. Jesus there was simply echoing and reaffirming the great land promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 13 and many other times 
that same land promise is repeated as a kind of chorus, a golden thread running through the book of Genesis and indeed through the whole of the Bible. So you see then that Abraham was promised the land in perpetuity. It was to be given ultimately to him as well as to his descendants. Now that's an important fact because we're going to show you that Abraham never in fact inherited any of the land during his lifetime. And that then poses a question over the promise of the land made to Abraham. How in the world is he going to gain that inheritance since he's now dead? And since, as the text of Scripture clearly states, he never inherited the land of Canaan which God had promised him. Has the promise of God failed then? Are these simply empty dreams? Were these aspirations of Abraham, these hopes of Abraham, to fall flat and never find any kind of fulfillment? If that is so, we'd have to say that God himself was a false witness, an absolutely impossible thing because the Bible says that God cannot lie. God promised the whole of the land to Abraham. Abraham did not receive that promise. There must therefore be a solution and a resolution of the problem. And we'll come to that as we develop our story. In Genesis 15, we read that after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Now that's most interesting, the first occurrence of the word word or message as it's found in the Bible. And this term word is introduced here at a critically important juncture in the developing story of Abraham and the promises made to him. God's great plan, you see, is being unfolded here and we as Gentile believers are to be involved in that great plan, the plan as it was outlined to Abraham. And so God then, introducing his word, the word of the Lord in Genesis 15:1, appeared to Abraham in a vision and said, Do not fear, Abraham, I'm a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. Now, we as Christians should be deeply interested in the reward promised to Abraham because that's going to be our reward also. Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? At this point in the story, you remember, Abraham had no son by his wife Sarah, and yet God had promised him in this twofold promise of the seed and the soil, the land and the progeny, God had promised him a son to be born, a son that belonged to Abraham. That son had not appeared, and so Abraham here tries to rearrange things and suggest that Eliezer of Damascus be counted as a genuine son of Abraham. But God intervened because his word always stands firm and he dismisses our agendas, our plans, and he insists on his own way of doing things. And so then, behold, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 4, This man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And then God took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens, count the stars if you are able to count them. And God said to him, So shall your seed be. And in verse 6, a wonderful verse taken up by Paul in the New Testament, Abraham believed the Lord and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Do you see there the key to righteousness? It's a matter of believing the word and the words of God, believing in God's plan, aligning ourselves in a humble and obedient fashion with God's declarations, God's intentions, 
and God's grand scheme for the rescue of mankind, his salvation program, Abraham believed in the Lord. Here we have a groundwork definition of faith, which is of the highest relevance to Christians. Abraham relied on someone. He gave credence to a message. He considered that message to be true, and thereby he trusted God. Believing God is trusting God. And in New Testament times, after the birth of the Savior Jesus Christ, believing Christ means believing his words. To accept Christ is to accept his words. It's impossible to accept Christ in a biblical sense if one is unaware of what his message is. One has first to hear the agenda of Jesus before you can commit yourself to him. It's most problematic simply to invite people to accept Jesus if they've never heard his message. How can you accept Jesus intelligently and begin on the journey that leads to immortality if you have not heard the word, the message, the gospel of Jesus? In the same way, Abraham could not have exercised faith had he not first been given a declaration, a proposition from God, a proposition which Abraham was invited to accept and respond to and obey wholeheartedly. This is the heart and the core of biblical faith. It means accepting God's message, God's word. And in the case of Abraham and Christians who are said to be children of Abraham, it means accepting the truth of the distinguished descendant, Christ, and, note most carefully, acceptance of the land promise made to Abraham in perpetuity. We invite you to request from us free literature on this issue of Abraham and the land, and join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.